It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Monday, January 3rd, 2022. Happy New Year and welcome to a brand new year, brand new week here on the Guy Benson Show. So happy to have you. As we all leap into the new year together, it's going to be a big one politically, and we are just honored that you listen. Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, and around the clock, on demand for free on the podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. All of your needs related to the program right there, GuyBensonShow.com. You can follow us on social at GuyBensonShow, Twitter and Instagram. That's at GuyBensonShow. Or me personally on those platforms, Guy P. Benson, the handle for both. I'll be joining Special Report this evening with Brett Baer and the whole crew in the 6 p.m. hour Eastern Time over on Fox News Channel, the TV side. Hope to see you there. My guess is we'll be talking about COVID, which is, yet again and still, the dominant story in this country as we begin year number three in which COVID has racked the world and the United States of America. We learned of it in early 2020. We existed with it for the entire year of 2021. And here we are, starting off... 2022, and it is the lead story. And I will get into some of the reasons why. I have a few thoughts in just a moment. Fox News alert as we get going here on the show. I want to bring you the case count. 55.1 million confirmed cases. I mean, it's up triple digits percentage-wise over the last two weeks. And that's the bad news. Lots of cases. It is spreading everywhere. And just to give you a little heads up, it has been a very COVID-heavy holidays for the Benson family and our household here. And we will get into some of that later in the show. It's everywhere. It's all across the country. And we were not spared here. That's also part of the bad news. The good news is it is less severe. And we'll get into some of that and some of the stats specifically on Omicron here in a second, the death toll tragically continues to climb. Now 824,422 Americans have died with or of COVID in the United States over the course of this nearly two years. The Dow is up 194 points right now, trading at 36,532. And so it's all green arrows right now on Wall Street, and we're 51 minutes away from the close. There's a lot that I want to talk about when it comes to COVID and where we stand entering the new year. As a matter of fact, later in the show, we're going to have Dr. Nicole Sapphire here. I want to just ask her an open-ended question, sort of like a State of the Union, public health-wise How are we? Where are we right now in her medical judgment? She's coming up in our final hour. We'll have some COVID-related conversations here in a minute. Well, to be honest, about half an hour with 
Josh Krasauer, to be a little bit more particular and precise, Josh Krasauer of National Journal, his political read on the COVID wars, including more school closures, if you can believe it. He's coming up this hour. Molly Hemingway also will be here. Looking forward to that conversation. But we do begin on COVID. I want to just start out of the gate with unambiguously good news. Because there's a lot to be frustrated about. There's a lot that I'm frustrated about. We're in a bad spot case-wise right now in the country. And I think that this wave of Omicron is going to last weeks, if not a month or more. I saw Dr. Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner, saying he believes that the Omicron wave will be with us into February. But there might actually be some light at the end of the tunnel here. Gottlieb, who I just mentioned, tweeted this on New Year's Eve, that the numbers out of London and out of the UK suggest that the Omicron wave over there might be peaking. It's a huge wave that has occurred, quote, so far with only a small rise in hospital admissions requiring ventilation. He says New York City may be about two weeks behind London. So there has been what they call a decoupling. Right in earlier stages of the pandemic and with other variants, you would see cases go way up and then automatically, basically, you would see hospitalizations come way up sort of in a commensurate way and then deaths would follow as a lagging indicator. That pattern was broken or at least deeply disrupted with the vaccines. And to this day, you can see the decoupling. Vaccinated people overwhelmingly are protected from severe cases and death. And even among the unvaccinated and just among the broader population, the uncoupling of cases and deaths with Omicron is highly encouraging. There is a story in the New York Times. More than half a dozen experiments made public in recent days all pointed in the same direction to the same conclusion. Omicron is milder than Delta and other earlier versions of the virus. Another New York Times story in the last few days. South Africa said health data suggested its Omicron peak has now passed with no major spike in deaths, offering cautious hope to other countries. So even though I would imagine that you probably someone who has it right now or has had it in the last two weeks. I was off last week, although with the holidays happening and multiple people sick in my house and will again, tell that story at the end of the show today, it didn't really feel like a real holiday break. But we made the most of it. We made the best of it. I think a lot of you probably did the same thing. But this was not sort of like, oh, I know a guy who knows a guy whose cousin has COVID. This has just been sweeping. But a lot of the sweeping, especially in recent days, has been Omicron, which is definitely preferable to Delta or you know, previous, uh, previous iterations for reasons that I just outlined. However, all right, so that's, that's the good news, and I think that that is unambiguously good news, and I think we should be happy about that. We should be grateful for that. What is frustrating is that the people in charge of making decisions in this country, 
the people who are feeding politicians their talking points and their guidance, they have been a bit incoherent, I think is putting it kindly, throughout the entire pandemic, but especially recently. I will say just very briefly on a heartening note, on a positive note, the fact that Dr. Anthony Fauci is out on television talking about the important distinction between people being hospitalized and kids getting hospitalized because of their COVID or just happening to show up for other reasons and then they're getting tested automatically, they're coming back positive. He's saying that is a key difference when we're talking about pediatric hospitalizations. And he's right. We've been talking about that on this show for more than a year. There's been data about how the hospitalization numbers and to some extent the death numbers have been inflated. Where it's like, oh, if you tested positive post-mortem, like you had COVID, but you died of a heart attack, some of those people have been counted as COVID deaths. On hospitalizations, especially with younger people, the rate of incidental COVID positives is significant and has really elevated the number of those hospitalization cases. That has been true for a very long time, the entire pandemic, in fact. The fact that Fauci is finally talking about it and talking about that distinction being important is, again, a little bit maddening because it has been true, right? This is not a new thing. And it's like, well, if, it, if we weren't really supposed to talk about it or you get scowled at for talking about it, let's say, last year, why is it okay now to make the exact same accurate point? But at least he's making it because that brings down the panic, puts things into better perspective, and helps us move forward more constructively. I'll have to ask Dr. Sapphire about this. He also has sort of said, hey, let's cool it with freaking, about, freaking out or melting down about all the cases. Yes, there's a lot of cases, but what matters is severe cases and deaths, and that picture is much brighter. Again, that is absolutely correct. That memo, I think, needs to be sent every single morning to the news media. And it might be belated, maddeningly belated, to get that messaging from Fauci, but I'd rather it show up than not at all. That being said, what do we get over the holidays? We got new guidance from CDC saying, all right, uh, new plan here. When you're isolating with COVID, it just has to be five days, not 10. We're going to cut it in half. Oh, but if it's kids, it's still 10 days, the full 10, even though kids are the least vulnerable people in our whole society when it comes to COVID, something we have known for almost two years, and I just feel like I'm beating my head into the same brick wall that I have throughout those two years, often on this show, making that point. So we've got the isolation recommendation slashed by 50% by the CDC for adults, but not for kids. That makes absolutely no sense. And they said, and once you're done with the five days, you don't have to get another test. Just wear a mask for a few more days, five more days, and you'll be fine. Now, part of that is because they don't have enough tests. 
right? They could say, well, get a negative test and then you're in the clear. There's a testing shortage, which is one of the huge failures of the Biden administration. We're in 2022 and it's still hard in large swaths of this country to get any rapid tests, let alone affordable ones or, or free ones. I know Biden, you know, just before the new year said, oh, we're going to do that. Or hundreds of millions is going to take a while. It's not exactly warp speed here. This was anticipated for a year, and this is still the situation. Remember Jen Psaki was asked about this at the White House, about tests and mailing tests to every American? And she scoffed at that. She was mocking that idea. And now they're like, oh, oops, that's probably what we need to do. I think that testing shortage, one of the big failures here, is driving some of the CDC decision to not recommend needing a negative test to then come out of your isolation. Except now Fauci's saying it looks like the CDC is going to change their mind on that already because they've gotten pushback. So it's like they just keep flip-flopping and contradicting themselves, confusing people. So in late December, they put out information. This is just another example of this. CDC put out information that Omicron was now the dominant variant in the United States, it was like a week before Christmas was the date, I believe. They said Omicron is now 73% of the cases in America, which on some level is good news because it's, it's much more mild. It's less severe. It's less likely to put you in the hospital or to kill you, as we just talked about. And then a week later, they said, oh, wait, oops, we have to revise that. We were wrong about that. Did we say 73% were Omicron? We meant 23%. That's a 50 percentage point drop from the CDC in their estimate on the prevalence of these variants. Now, why does that matter? You might say, well, they, they got their methodology wrong or whatever, and then they corrected it. It's not a good look. It makes them look a little bit you know, bungling and bumbling, but does it really matter? Well, it does really matter. Because based on that estimate, that wrong estimate, that they then revised down by 50 percentage points, another arm of the federal health bureaucracy stopped distributing monoclonal antibodies to states. And the reason that they said was, well, now Omicron is super dominant. These antibodies don't work against Omicron, like they do against Delta, so they're ineffective, so we're going to halt and pause the distribution of these successful treatments. And then, a week later, so that decision was made, then the CDC says, well, actually, it's not three out of four cases, it's about one out of four cases. So how many people couldn't get antibody treatments that would have been successful because they actually had Delta because the CDC got that wrong? And I guess their new updated number that I saw was 59%. I don't know if we should have confidence in that number or if they've fixed their methodology in the last few weeks. The point is, it is just a blizzard of confusion and some bad decisions made by bad data from the CDC. And by the way, two more points quickly. Rochelle Walensky, CDC director, she's giving TV interviews. And what has she said just in the last few days? Number one, she said, well, we don't recommend people, and they might be switching this now because of all the blowback, right? So it's like they they put out recommendations. Some people get angry at them. They say, okay, wait, never mind. 
But the initial defense of this, you know, you don't have to get another test to get out of isolation is she admitted that the PCR test can stay positive for weeks, even months, well after you're not really positive anymore and no danger to anyone else. It's like, well, wow, that's a pretty significant revelation just to drop on us. And the other thing that she said was, asked about the science behind this decision, the whole process, she said some of it just has to do with what they believe people are willing to tolerate. It's like, were we willing to tolerate 10 days of isolation a few months ago before the holidays? Why do they announce this just after Christmas? What the public will tolerate is an important, I guess, question when it comes to policymaking. It's not a science-based one. So we begin a new year with new questions. There are major reasons for optimism, not necessarily caused by or brought to us by the people running the show. Let's put it that way. All right. Our first segment of the new year is over. I'm already running late. We'll be right back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. The Guy Benson Show. More next. What it is. I'm going to level with you guys. Getting old sucks one day you wake up and you just don't feel like yourself low energy feeling cranky believe it or not fellas even problems in the bedroom i know turns out these symptoms are a result of our lower testosterone now there's a solution nugenics total t made with a powerful testosterone booster nugenics total t ignites the fire inside of you and you get to feel like your old self again with hundreds of five-star reviews from real customers like myself, Nugenics Total Tea really works. The product is now new and improved with Tesnar, a testosterone-boosting extract that increases vitality, adds stamina, and wipes out everyday fatigue. Get back to a better you with Nugenics Total Tea. Get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text Tyrus, T-Y-R-U-S, to 231-231. Text now and we'll add in a bottle of Nugenics Thermal X, our most powerful fat incinerator on the house just text tyrus to 231-231 that's nugenics total t and nugenics thermal x on us just pay shipping and handling texting enrolls you into a reoccurring automated text messages consent not required to purchase message and data rates may apply living the bream is a podcast hosted by fox news channels shannon bream sharing inspirational stories personal anecdotes and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com america's listening to fox news cloth masks aren't going to provide a lot of protection that's the bottom line this is an airborne illness we now understand that and a cloth mask is not going to protect you from a virus that spreads through airborne uh, transmission it could protect better through droplet transmission something like the flu but not something like this coronavirus dr scott gottlieb on face the nation on cbs as we're back here on the guy benson show just saying again by the way the cloth masks especially against omicron it's just you they're useless And yet we're requiring them in a lot of settings for kids in schools. At least there are kids mostly in school to start this new year. But shockingly, it shouldn't be shocking, but it is outrageous. There are districts now going remote again. And not just a few, not just a handful of schools here or there, a lot. Some of them just announcing like last night that they were doing this, partially because you had some teachers saying they didn't want to show up for work again. I don't know what else needs to be demonstrated 
in terms of the safety of schools and the harm when it comes to children not being in schools, certainly vis-a-vis the harm that they would suffer from COVID. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. But here we are, year three, and there are a significant number of closed schools in America right now because of Omicron. Just astounding. Josh Krasauer will join us to break it down next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. A new year here on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you for always listening. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast. Josh Krasauer joins us now, politics editor at National Journal, Fox News Radio political analyst. It is now an election year, Josh. Not the Super Bowl, not a presidential year, but still an important midterm. And we look forward to your insights over the course of these next 12 months. Really, I guess 11 months. Great to have you back, sir. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Guy, and, and looking forward to 2022. Let's talk first about a story that I touched upon in the first half hour of the show. I know this is something that you have really followed very closely in your writing, your reporting, your uh, you know Twitter feed, etc. We are now beginning a new year, and we have quite a few schools shuttered again in this country, in D.C., in Maryland, there's some in New York City, school, the entire school district in Milwaukee, and it's an Omicron closure that we're seeing. It's not as widespread as previous school shutdowns, but it's enough that it's making an impact. People are noticing. And, you know, to me, schools were such a seminal issue in the Virginia governor's race last year. And just days from now, Glenn Youngkin is going to be sworn in as the new governor of Virginia and not Terry McAuliffe, I think in large part because of schools, not just critical race theory, but residual anger over school closures. And here we have more school closures, even, yes, in a heavy case count wave, but a more mild wave. I just wonder, are we starting off an election year on an issue and with a controversy that could perhaps play a significant role in November, still, nationally? So one of the interesting dynamics in the new year is that Virginia schools, after Glenn Youngkin's election, to my knowledge, haven't closed. They they didn't do what they did last year because they know Governor Youngkin is, is coming in in a couple weeks. They know the political mood has shift, shifted. Uh, so I think that the recognition, aside from the snow in, in the D.C. area, that canceled school today and, and tomorrow, that there is an acknowledgement that people need to be back in school, kids need to be back in school. Now, I think Omicron complicates this because 
it is omnipresent in a lot of areas, including the, the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, the New York metropolitan area. And, you know, if, if you test, you know, there's testing, you're, you're going to see a lot of spread, asymptomatic spread in, in, in schools. And a lot of schools have a policy where if you have a positive test, you've got to, you know, isolate for 10 days, miss two weeks of school. So there's another looming challenge coming, at least for the next few weeks, in a lot of these big city and suburban school systems, even the ones that are open. Uh, so a lot of them are staying open. New York City also, Eric Adams, the new mayor, making a big, big show of keeping schools open. But if this, I mean, the, we know about Omicron, this is spreading like wildfire. Every, it's very mild. Everyone's getting it. Uh, and, and there's probably a lot of asymptomatic spread as well. Uh, what happens when, te- you know, like you're going to have teachers that are going to test positive? you know, say they can't come to school, can't teach. Uh, students are, are going to test positive. It, are, are the policies going to be made more flexible for schools, for federal and, and state? Or are we going to use the same rules and regulations that we've done over the past year? That, I think, is the next test that's coming in the next couple of weeks. And uh, it's not just school closures, but if half a school is out or if teachers call in sick, is that a sustainable status quo? I, I, I don't think it will be, and I think that's the next political challenge for a lot of these governors and elected officials. Yeah, I saw that there was, I guess, a, a meeting reported from the Chicago Public School Teachers Union where a large majority of them voted saying they don't want to come in, they don't want to work under these circumstances, they're making a bunch of demands. And so you've got some of those pressures as well from the unions. You've got the positive tests just sweeping, as you mentioned, it's absolutely right. We were dealing with it in our household throughout all of the holidays. I know so many people who have it right now or have had it in the last two weeks. That's true. In my opening monologue, Josh, since you raised this, one of the things that I mentioned that has been very, very frustrating to me when it comes to the the messaging and the policies and the justification of the policies from sort of the, the public health establishment and some of these leaders, the CDC over the holidays shifted the isolation guidance from 10 days to five and they said you know you isolate for five days then you don't have to get a negative test but you can go out there and wear a mask for five more days and you can you know get back to work get back to your life then under pressure it looks like they're going to reverse themselves on the test question because they were criticized i think part of the reason that they may have offered that guidance is because it's hard to get tests which is a A whole nother failure, another wrinkle in all of this, a big one. But they did not cut down, similarly, the 10 to 5 day change for kids. So kids in schools would have to be out for, you know, the better part of two academic weeks under the CDC guidance, which a lot of these schools just, you know, lean on and rely on no matter what. Whereas for adults who are more susceptible at greater risk from COVID in general than kids, we know this. They're at five days. Kids are still at 10. None of this makes any sense, Josh. That's what I think has people just tearing their hair out still as we enter our third calendar year involving COVID. It doesn't make any sense. And, and it's notable that the public health spokespeople from Dr. Fauci on down have no problem leading with how transmissible Omicron is. But they seem to bury and filibuster and kind of downplay the remarkable findings in science and the data from South Africa and England and other countries that have gone through this wave before us about how, how few hospitalizations there have been, even in, even in vulnerable populations in countries that have gone through this, about studies and upon study that have shown that this doesn't infect the lower 
uh, airway. It doesn't cause the lung issues that were such a prominent and ugly feature of the first couple waves of, of COVID. We're dealing with a whole other virus in, in, in essence, and yet we haven't changed our rules and regulations in, in, to accommodate the, the new reality that we're facing, especially given its transmissibility. That everyone, this Capitol Hill, uh, actually, they, they've done testing, and about 13% of health staffers have tested positive than the ones who have submitted and, 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 and had tests. Some people haven't even reported their tests. They get the take-home tests, and, and, and they don't report it to the, to the, the local or, or you know, national authorities. So, you know, this is – we've lost the plot, right? Maybe we're getting close. I think people are starting to realize that we're in a totally different situation. We're back. Most importantly, we're back. Many, most of the countries at least have one vaccine. Uh, a lot of the countries gotten boosted. And by the way, um, just totally just to jump in, situation. Josh. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I just want to underline the point that you just made. I know there's been a lot of fighting about the vaccines and vaccine mandates and the anti-vax people and what counts as anti-vax. And if you're against the mandate, you're called anti-vax, which I think is wrong. With all of that noise. I think that it's important to point out that 85% of adults in this country have gotten at least one vaccine shot against COVID. 85% of adults. I think if you start, because this is another way that people play games, right? They take children and they put them into the unvax category, and that makes it seem like there's a lot more vax resistance out there than there is. I don't think we should be forcing the kids to have the vaccines. There's, there's not a great reason to force kids to get these vaccines. What matters, especially are older populations who are overwhelmingly vac- uh, vaccinated. And you look at like, you know, senior citizen demographic, for example, uh, overwhelming vaccination rates. And among adults, 18 plus, it's 85%. That's actually an achievement that I think goes to, to the Trump administration, to the Biden administration, to the country writ large. But it seems like we don't really talk about that success, really. There's still a lot of scolding and mandates and focus on the holdouts and you know, forcing kids to do things. That, I think, at least in my view, buttresses your point about having lost the plot in this country. It really feels that way. Yeah, I mean, the message should be get vaccinated, get get boosted. It helps you protect yourself from, from the virus. But we have lost the plot when it comes to making policies and mandates, because we also know that even two shots of the vaccine, which, which most of the country, as you know, has, but a lot of the country hasn't been boosted, that doesn't stop transmission. Correct. So a lot of the policies, especially the Omicron. mandates, you know, the restrictions in a lot of cities, uh, New York City, D.C., Chicago, they're, they're, they're operating under the old rules, the pre-Omicron rules. So you, you're you not necessarily – they're not willing to change the regulations to getting boosted as part of getting into a store or a restaurant or whatever. So they're, they're really like – they're kind of getting the worst of both worlds. They're, they're restricting a large share of their population from accessing basic services, restaurants, bars, theaters, whatever. And, and because of Omicron, because it's so darn transmissible, it's not doing its intended goal. It's still, yep. still going to transmit among boosted and vaccinated people, even though the symptoms are going to be very mild, much less serious, something you, know, you really shouldn't have to worry about. And Josh, we've lost the plot. This reminds me of another story, and perhaps I might need to spend some more time on tomorrow's show getting into it uh, in more detail. I don't know if you saw it over the, over the holidays, but there was a report that the Biden administration was presented with a plan to have hundreds of millions of rapid tests developed and ready to go. And it was rejected by the Biden administration reportedly because they thought that 
unvaccinated people would use rapid tests as sort of their shortcut not to get vaccinated and just testing themselves. And they wanted to sort of amp up the pressure on people to get vaccinated. And therefore, they said, let's not do the widespread, ubiquitous availability of tests. And now they're saying, oh, wait, oops, you know, we're going to we need those tests. We're going to do hundreds of millions, but it's going to take a while. That seems like a, a pretty big failure. Yeah, a very big miss. And I think a part of the miss stems from this notion in our political class and our public health class that we want to basically be psychologists in addition to being yes. scientists and epidemiologists. We don't want to say that this isn't, isn't super, serious, super severe because we don't want people to act you know, go out and, and do things. We actually want them to stay in their homes. So we don't want to nudge that. Ba- we want to see if we can nudge the behavior. And we don't want to have lots of tests because we want people to get vaccinated. So that, 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 that's the logic in a lot of uh, the political and, and maybe even the public health community in some instances where, you know, they're trying to assess human behavior and they're not very good at it. They're good at the science. They're good at telling you. Well, what, you know, what they should be is, good at the science. But they're not good at it. Understanding human behavior, understanding psychology. Perfect. I love that you put it that way. They're not doing science. They're trying to do like psychology on a very wide scale. I made reference to this quote, but I want to play it. This is Cut 19. Walensky, the CDC director, Dr. Walensky was on CNN. Listen to the question and just the very beginning of her answer about the shift in the isolation guidance, which they're now apparently going to flip-flop on at least partially. But this was an element of the way that she explained it on TV. So from what you're saying, it sounds like this decision had just as much to do with business as it did with the science. Well, so it really had a lot to do with what um, we thought people would be able to tolerate. We have seen relatively low. We We can stop right there. To me, Josh, yes, when you're crafting public policy, what the attitudes of the population are, their tolerance levels for various things, that that comes into policy decisions being made, but it's not a scientific decision. Like how long someone should isolate from COVID in order for minimizing risk and, you know, maximizing overall public good. That is a scientific question. That's not a what will tolerate, what will people tolerate decision. And that's the first thing that Walensky said in response to that question, the psychology side of it. That's exactly right, Guy. And look, I I think sort of reading between the lines, I think she's basically saying that we know privately that Omicron is not nearly as serious as Delta or any of the other previous variants, but we don't want to say that explicitly. So our our, our way of saying that is basically reducing the draconian 10-day quarantine in an Omicron situation without being honest, being part part of, I think, public health communications these days. Is being perfectly honest about uncertainty, about being transparent about all the data, of not trying to like nudge behavior, but just you know laying it out on the line. You tell us what you know. Tell us what your best guidance is at this point, and acknowledge that things might have to change. Like you're not a voice on God from God up, from above. You're a fallible uh, public health official, and you know exactly what you said, guy. That that trying to divine. Uh, psychology, trying to nudge behavior is, is outside the realm of expertise on a lot, for a lot of these folks. 
And yep. it backfired. It's backfired and on numerous Fauci, occasions. Fauci did it with masks. He did it with his estimates on herd immunity. He admitted to doing that. And now it's like another round of it. New Year, same deal in that respect. Josh Krasauer, politics editor, National Journal, Fox News radio political analyst here on The Guy Benson Show. We'll get into the governor's races and the big Senate races and some of the House races in the weeks and months to come. But on this first show of the new year, uh, COVID's the story, and I wanted to get your take. Josh, always appreciate it. Thanks, Guy. Happy New Year. And we will be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. We're back. It's the Guy Benson Show. You know, I was talking to a friend who got COVID and has it right now. And his mom got it, he assumes from him, and he was feeling guilty about that. Fully vaccinated, previously had COVID, but was feeling guilty. And I think that we need to be completely past that, right? There were irresponsible behaviors, especially pre-vaccine, where if you went and you did something and you put other people at risk, like, you know, there's a good reason that that sort of thing was highly discouraged. But in the current situation with Omicron being as transmissible as it is and thankfully as mild as it is it's not like you're, you're not a bad person you've never been a bad person because you got COVID I'd say that's especially true in this moment so I actually told him this story that I read in the British press this was from the UK Daily Telegraph that gives you a sense of how contagious this thing is Polar researchers in remote Antarctica have fallen victim to coronavirus despite taking strict health precautions, being fully vaccinated and miles from civilization. Two-thirds of the 25 staff in the Belgian government polar station down in Antarctica now have COVID, according to a newspaper in the country. Proving, writes the Telegraph, that there's no escape from the pandemic. This outbreak occurred despite all staff passing multiple PCR tests, quarantining, and living in one of the most remote places in the world. So there's only 25 people who work at this little outpost, this scientific outpost in Antarctica. This is a Belgian government facility. And because they're going to be living in close quarters... And we're in the middle of a pandemic. What the government said was, all right, if, for you to work here, the protocols are as follows. You got to, I'm sure, you must be vaccinated. They're all fully vaccinated. You have to pass multiple tests, PCR tests negative, show up, quarantine for a period of time, and then you're in the clear. But as it turns out, COVID got them anyway. And now two-thirds of the people there have COVID. Now, the officials are quoted as saying, it's not that bad, it's more of an inconvenience. People aren't that sick. That's, again, sort of like a consistent refrain that keeps coming. But if those measures are not good enough, like putting a cloth mask on a child, or like keeping the kids home from school, and people are passing it around in neighborhoods and houses... It's just, it's futile. I'm not saying throw up your hands and do nothing. Test if you've got symptoms. Isolate if you test positive. Get vaccinated. 
but some of this very much is out of our control, and we should be realistic and humble about that. Another hour coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A brand new hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's a new year. We're very excited to have you. 2022 is going to be a big one here on The Guy Benson Show. Our website remains the same, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast still free, on demand every day, GuyBensonShow.com. Check out Special Report tonight if you have some time. You can set your DVR or tune in. Fox News Channel, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be on the panel in the back half of the show along with a fine crew, as always. That, again, special report, FNC, this evening. Joining us now is Molly Hemingway, a regular on Special Report, also a regular here on the program. She's senior editor at The Federalist, a Fox News contributor, co-author of Justice on Trial, and also author of the bestseller Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and Democrats Seized Our Elections, at MZ Hemingway on Twitter. Molly, welcome back. Happy New Year. It's great to be here with you. Happy New Year. How was your Christmas and holiday season? We'll be talking about it later in the show. We just had COVID everywhere in my family. Adam still has it. Did you escape that or did you get hit? Yeah, none of us. Well, we already had COVID, so uh, we're hoping we don't get it again too soon after having gotten it before. And we were in Mexico for most of it, and uh, it was fine down there. So we enjoyed our time. That is fantastic. Where in Mexico did you guys go? I just want to say I was on the beach literally every day of my nearly two weeks down there. And we were visiting my husband's family, and they live in Cabo. Oh, okay. I'm feeling a little jealous. I'm looking out my window. (laughs) I'm seeing snow. A tree fell under the weight of the snow in our backyard. I'll talk about that later. And then I'm thinking of you guys just on the beach for weeks on end. And I know we were just – here's the thing, Molly – I was just off for a whole week, and sometimes it's hard to get back into the swing of work. I think everyone can relate to that, but it was not a terribly relaxing week for us because my dad had COVID, my brother had COVID, my husband has COVID. There was just a lot of stuff going on, and I feel like I need a vacation, having just had a vacation. So it sounds like you did it the right way. You were just like, we're out of here. If I and can just like, say, we had fruity cocktails. You know, we had an incredibly difficult year. We have never needed a vacation as much as we needed this one, and we fully relished it. We did absolutely nothing oh. other than puzzles. So I encourage you, once you get all healthier and better, you should take a little vacation because it's very important for you to do good work, that you be fully relaxed and that you get a little break away from things. And COVID is not a break from anything. It's a horrible, it's a horrible thing to go through <laughs> or to care for people who are going through it. So you need to, you need to make sure you take care. Well, I appreciate that. And I, we got a little thing planned in February. So hopefully we'll check that box then. Last question on this personal stuff before we can move on to politics, etc. Was there a particular Christmas gift that stands out? It doesn't have to be one that you received. It could be someone in your family who received it. But was there a star gift that was given 
in the Hemingway household this year? My children have been saying that it's the best Christmas they've ever had, which is great because there wasn't anything that fantastic under the tree, but they really thought that they were thoughtful. So this is going to sound cheesy, but the best gift, the most, the most, like the gift that was received the best was a book that Mark got our youngest daughter, which is a book that teaches you how to put together really fancy dessert boards or cheese boards or meat boards or party trays. Oh yeah. She thinks it's like the best thing ever. So. Oh, so she's like a, a charcuterie person. <laughs> That's a, impressive. She's in elementary school, but she really thinks that this is, yes. So she's easy no, to it's, please, is what I'm trying to say. But it's also delicious. I, I think it's aesthetically pleasing as well when you can serve guests something like that. So I love that that was the hit, the how to make a good <laughs> cheese board book. Uh, and then, look, you know, we have our Christmas party every year. Let us know if she's available to hire next year if we need some beautiful, you know, like roses made out of salami or whatever. All right, Molly. She is, she's going to contact you, I just, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I want to talk to you about a little interesting dust-up that happened over the holidays. I'm not sure how closely you followed it because it sounded like you were blessedly unplugged and, you know, having a mojito or something in the sun. But there was this trend on social media on the left, and there were Democrats who got in on it. Of course, there were members of the media who got in on it, where it's like hashtag where's Ron. And it was never exactly clear what the allegation was, but the vague controversy was that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, was MIA. And cases were rising in Florida, although they were rising much worse elsewhere. The Washington Post wrote a story about Florida, even though the epicenter of Omicron in the whole country, like off the charts, was Washington, D.C., home of the Washington Post. But we know that they really have great interest in attacking Ron DeSantis as often as possible. And I guess the the crux of the argument, if you can call it that, was that Ron DeSantis was nowhere to be found. Now, it turned out that he was working every day. He was not making public appearances, but there were people kind of uh, on the warpath over this. And one of his leading would-be opponents on the Democratic side said, when I'm governor, I'll show up for Florida or whatever. And this became a little bit of a narrative out there in the press. And I don't know if this was intentional or if the press team, the DeSantis camp, you know, we're playing some rope-a-dope. But then the story came out that part of what DeSantis was doing out of the public eye was taking his wife to her cancer treatments for breast cancer, which was just another example of these fools, frankly, Molly, deciding that they were going to create a garbage story about Ron DeSantis and try to will it into existence and then having the whole thing absolutely explode on them. I, I can't take too much pleasure out of this because obviously you never want anyone to have to be taking a loved one to get cancer treatments. But it is, I don't know, in some ways inspiring to see how much fear they have of this guy and how often it backfires. The only example of this that I saw was that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was vacationing in Miami, which a lot of people do because it's a wonderful place to visit. And, um, and she w received a little bit of heat for doing so because back in New York, they really are having some kind of crisis with hospitals and COVID being out of control. 
and all of their mandates that they're enforcing on their people. And she responded, she sort of lashed out in multiple bad ways. And one of the bad ways she responded was to accuse Ron DeSantis of being AWOL. And then mm-hmm. it turned out, as you noted, that he was taking care of Casey, his wife, who's who's dealing with cancer. Um, it just seems, you know, I actually do think people have a right to know where their elected officials are, particularly people like governors. You know, if they're taking time off, it's good to be transparent about that. But he wasn't even taking time off. He was working every day. He just wasn't in the public eye. And to make a big deal about someone who's still working, like this isn't a Mark Sanford situation of hiking the Appalachian Trail or going off to Argentina. He was actually working every day. So it was a really ludicrous thing for them to make a big production about. And then it backfired horrifically when it turned out that they all looked like jerks because he was actually not in the public eye because he was with his wife, Casey, who, you know, for her cancer treatment. Yeah, a big swing and a miss yet again. And we will be discussing, you mentioned that whole AOC contratomps. We will get to that later in the show today because I have a few things to say about that because I found it very strange but also kind of fascinating, like a slow-motion car crash type thing, the way she reacted to all of that. Molly, I want to ask you and get your reaction. We, of course, touched on it in our first hour today. You're a parent. You talked about one of your kids already here in this uh, interview, in this conversation. We are now seeing in various places around the country school closures again. This time they're blaming it on Omicron. And look, I understand there's a lot of cases. We also know that kids are safe from COVID, especially from Omicron. The science on that has not changed. It seemed like there was this emerging consensus, Molly, finally, that school closures, especially for as long as they went on, and remote learning was a huge policy blunder and was very harmful to kids and should not happen again. It seemed like even some of the holdouts on the left finally came around to that view, and yet here we are on the first week of 2022, and you have schools across the country, not all of them, but enough that it's you know some sort of critical mass where it's noticeable. You have schools closed again for a week, two weeks, some of them for the entire month of January, they've announced. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who saw the elections in New Jersey and especially Virginia and said, okay, a lesson surely has been learned here. And I guess maybe that lesson has not been learned in a lot of places. It's inexplicable. I don't quite understand it. Here in the D.C. area, D.C. schools are closed. Maryland schools are closed. But Virginia schools are not closed. And so I do think that is indicative that people understood the elections in Virginia were a response in part to extreme outrage over the lockdowns and the banning children from schools. And, you know, in my town, it has had horrific effects on the general youth population. It's well known. I live in a place that's extremely blue, but people really opposed these school lockdowns uh, and, and banning children from school because it was so bad for the mental health of the kids, for their general community well-being. Um, but I don't understand why just across the river, just across the border in these other areas, they're continuing these horrific policies. Like my children have long gone to religious schools because we just don't want our children indoctrinated with the leftist ideology that takes place in government schools. And we have sacrificed a great deal so that they could do that. But if I were a government, if if my children were going to a government school and this were happening, I would be outraged and I would be fighting it so hard. And I just feel so badly for the people who have not yet escaped these horrible schools. Well, our friend Carol Markowitz 
has been sort of at the forefront of some of these battles, and she finally decided that she had had enough. She could not stay in New York City anymore. We wanted to get her on the show here today. We invited her on. She's been on before. She's a great guest. We couldn't get her on. She's a little busy. She is in the process, literally, of moving her family to Florida. So hashtag where's Ron? Well, he's waiting for Carol and family, and a lot of people like them because there are some people who are going to grumble and grouse and do nothing. There are others who are going to grumble and grouse and vote accordingly later this year. And then there's others like Carol and many others. You may have seen some of the demographic numbers at the end of last year with people leaving the state of California, leaving the state of New York, leaving the state of Illinois, and flocking to Texas and Florida and elsewhere, and it's not an accident, Molly. Yeah, people are voting with their feet. They're being driven out of places with strong blue governance and moving to places that are more free, that that give them more opportunity. And I don't know how much time you've spent in Florida or Texas. I have spent a lot of time there in the last couple of years. And you meet people constantly who say that they've moved from New York or New Jersey because they wanted to open a business and they couldn't get it done Uh, up in the state that they were from and that in Florida it's very friendly and they just feel, you know, they're not even necessarily Republican voters, although they might be becoming those, but they just can't deal with the regulations, the burdens and the bad governance and even, you know, crime and all these other issues that are driving people. Well, like having kids in schools that are open. How about, I mean, that's like basic 101 (laughs) stuff. You pay your taxes and you want your kids to be in school and not shut out of schools for a year. And now they're closing down, not in Florida, but in other places. I mean, that helps explain it. And to your point, Molly, before we go, we touched on this in the very end, like latter stages of 2021, for the first time in modern history, Republican voter registration outnumbers Democratic voter registration numbers in the state of Florida. So my hope has always been that Californians flee that state, then they move to Colorado and Arizona and make those into purple or blue states. It's like, well, are you going to ever learn the lesson about not voting the way that you used to in the place that you're escaping from, at least for Florida, for now, those lessons maybe are finally being internalized. Well, and we I can think see. it's not... It's also important that the governors themselves not govern as if they don't need to do much. They just need to receive these people who are being driven out by other people. You need to actually govern like a conservative. And that is one thing Ron DeSantis has done so well, not just being better than these other states, but actively implementing conservative vision and and leadership on and everything from regulations to banning these restrictions on freedom. Well, and drawing the contrast, not just doing it and signing it into some room somewhere, but out there sort of fighting every single day and getting the message out there and saying, this is what we're doing in Florida. This is what they are doing elsewhere. This is why we're doing it. This is why we're not doing what they're doing. It's a choice to be here. Here are my governing decisions and why. I think that's also communicating about it clearly and consistently is a big part of it. That's, I think, an element of the success that he's had and the attention that he's gotten as well. And, of course, the barbs and the knives and the bullets rhetorically coming at him endlessly, as we just referred to earlier in the segment. Molly, we've got to leave it there for now. Senior editor at The Federalist, author of two books, most recently Rigged, a Fox News contributor, and the proud mother of a daughter who apparently loves cheese and meats, which, I mean, same. So that sounds fantastic. Molly, she is tanned. She is ready. She is rested for the midterm election year. And we look forward to having you on the show many times, Molly. Thanks. Happy New Year and hope Adam feels better soon.
Thank you very much. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It is The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. And if you're listening on the broadcast, you might be confused or even shocked to hear the bumper song that we're using. Jingle Bells, a popular Christmas song. You know my position. If you're a regular listener, you know my position on Christmas music. December only. And really, I don't want to hear it after December 26th. However, there's an exception today because, believe it or not, Jingle Bells is the focal point of the latest episode of Woke Tales. Woke Tales. A public school in New York chose not to allow the performance of the song Jingle Bells. This was written up by my colleague at townhall.com, Landon, because it supposedly has some origin where it may have been performed in its early days at a minstrel show where there were people wearing blackface. And so I guess by this logic, because it was performed early by people doing something that is racist, the song is by association racist or problematic, and therefore the kiddos were not allowed to sing Jingle Bells because it's too offensive. And the song was replaced with other songs that, quote, did not have the potential to be controversial or offensive. Apparently, this was based on research by a professor at Boston University. And the professor who linked this song to having been performed, what, like in the 1800s at a minstrel show in Boston, the professor had no idea that that research was the basis for this decision. And when they reached out to the professor, she said, quote, she was quite shocked that a school would remove the song from the repertoire. And she did not recommend that it stop being sung by kids. So this is just oversensitive wokeness run amok yet again. And therefore, it is a post-Christmas installment of Woke Tales. When we come back, Molly talked about in the last segment... AOC and a little meltdown that she had when she was spotted on vacation in Florida. We have thoughts. We will share them straight ahead. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day, available on demand. Again, no charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we have to talk about this AOC flap over the holidays 
When you're gone for a week, a lot of stuff happens. And this is one of my favorite stories. And it seemed to start the day before New Year's Eve. So the 30th of December, National Review obtained some photographs of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the New York Socialist, on vacation with her boyfriend in Florida. And so these images were zipping around social media. And you can imagine that there was basically an instantaneous hubbub because she's a lightning rod. She, I think, likes being a lightning rod. She loves attention. And then you've got sort of different elements of potential hypocrisy. You've got the Florida angle. There's a lot to work with here. So the photo that you may have seen is you've got the boyfriend sitting with his back to the camera, and then she's smiling and she's got a cocktail. And they're outdoors at some kind of cafe or eatery and uh, seeming to have a nice time. Now, I'm actually going to start this conversation in a way that might be surprising to you. I'm going to defend AOC partially because there are some fair criticisms of her, I would say, on this. And then some that I think are kind of dumb. So a lot of people pointed out, oh, look, she's not wearing a mask. What a hypocrite. She's down in Florida, unmasked. Isn't this a problem? And I don't think that the mask thing is terribly hypocritical because they're outdoors. I mean, being outside is super safe. It's the safest place you can be with COVID. We've known this for a very long time. Outdoor mask mandates are absolutely insane. They're actually pretty rare at this point. And I could not find evidence of AOC supporting an outdoor mask mandate. Plus, she's drinking. So the active eating and drinking, the being outside, there's no problem in my mind with her not wearing a mask in that context. Now, if she, as a pro-mask sort of progressive scold, were caught in another circumstance a la Governor Newsom, for example, or Mayor Bowser, or Mayor Breed, there's a whole list of those, then by all means. But in this case, she's outside. So to me, clean bill of health on that one for AOC. Here's the second one. She's in Florida. That is the dystopia, the hellscape that has been wrought by Governor Ron DeSantis. The media and the left treat Florida like it is uniquely horrific, with just blood all over the hands of the governor. They're scared of him, politically. That's what that's about. We've covered that many times on the show. And isn't it interesting that AOC would choose to vacation in that state, given all of the opprobrium that her tribe heaps upon that state and its leadership? I find this critique... Sort of interesting, but I'm not sure if it's totally coherent. Because as conservatives, we sometimes visit places where we don't agree with the local leadership. Right? Like, I will visit California, even though I think it's a dumpster fire politically. I visit New York frequently. I live, for crying out loud, just across the river from D.C., although I'm in Glen Youngkin world, thank goodness. With that inauguration coming up in just a few days, that'll be fun. That'll be a a breath of fresh air, I would say. But I'm in D.C. all the time, 
It's not like because I go to a place, I am then endorsing everything that that place stands for or the political leadership installed by the voters in whatever jurisdiction it might be. I'm just not sure that that's a standard that's reasonable. Like, oh, Florida's terrible and we hate DeSantis and therefore what liberals cannot go to Florida. Like there's no vacationing in Miami or Orlando or whatever. I mean, I get it. They've been so over the top with DeSantis talking about how awful the place is than to choose to go there. Like, there's there's something there. But I'm not sure it's a super strong argument. Although, on the other hand, if she was looking for some fun in the sun in that sort of climate at the moment, could she not have gone over to Puerto Rico? Remember the poor abuela whose hardship she blames on Donald Trump, even though her own aunt came out and said, no, it's actually local dysfunction, not President Trump's fault back when there was a hurricane. AOC was out there tweeting about how rough the situation was for her abuela. Her grandmother was like, you know, living in poverty and all this stuff. Like, well, what are you doing for her? You're an adult. You're a member of Congress. You have a pretty comfortable salary. You're blaming this on the president of the United States. It's your family. Seems like here's maybe an opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. You get to go have the sunny vacation with the boyfriend, and you get to visit abuela, who's situation you profess to be deeply concerned about when that was an opportunity to attack a political opponent. In any case, that's the second line of attack. The third one that I think is probably the most biting is that she was one of the people really leading the charge on the Ted Cruz situation. Remember when he went down to, where was it, somewhere in Mexico? While there was that deep freeze affecting millions of people in the state of Texas. His daughters, I guess, had a trip down there to Cancun or something, and in the middle of that, Cruz went with them, and I think that that was a bad decision on his part. I criticized him for it at the time. I know that you know, he's got his smartphone, and he can try to help coordinate stuff from wherever he might be, but I just think the look of it, the optics, like you know, your constituents are in trouble. So he was raked over the coals for that, I think rightly so, and AOC relished that situation talking about him needing to resign, and she was tweeting about it and commenting on it for months. Well, COVID cases have spiked to record highs in New York City. Now, I've said many times, I think especially these days, hospitalizations and deaths are much more important than cases. But for the safetyists out there on COVID, these spikes in cases have led to closures, including schools, which I think is outrageous. We touched on that earlier. You've got tens of thousands of new cases a day in New York City, which is where AOC lives. Those are her constituents. Those are the people that she represents. You've got this public health emergency unfolding, and she flees to Florida. She decamps to the sunshine state of Ron DeSantis. While people back home are dealing with this surge in cases and trying to figure out if schools are going to be open come the new year and all of that. Now, On the merits, do I think it's inexcusable for her to go on a vacation? No, I don't. Whether it's Florida or anywhere else, I don't think on the merits that it's a problem. However, if her thing was with Ted Cruz, if your constituents are hurting and there's a problem or an emergency back home and you go on a sunny vacation, it's a massive dereliction. She milked that story. Now, it's not perfectly analogous, but close enough where I think she's going to take some lumps, and she's going to deserve it.
So that is the backdrop to then when things got really weird. Because, of course, with AOC getting these critiques, getting these criticisms and all this stuff, she can't just let it go. She can't just decline to comment and enjoy her little trip with the BF. She can't just take the L, which she probably should have done, but that's not who she is. She's a combatant. And this was some attention. So she decided, for example, in her Twitter feed and elsewhere, to lean into, at the time, a few days ago, this stupid Where's Ron hashtag, where lefties and Democrats and some of the media had a conspiracy theory about Ron DeSantis being like missing or on vacation or not doing anything because cases were rising in Florida. Now, a lot of those same people apparently didn't care that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, was on vacation at the beach. In fact, ABC News had this glowing headlines about how the Bidens had this idyllic walk on the beach with their new dog. That's the coverage you get when you're a Democrat. Oh, look at the adorable puppy. Oh, they're at the beach for the holidays. Meanwhile, where's Ron? (laughs) So AOC, in her uh, sort of PR blitz, responding to the Florida thing, was winking at and playing footsie with the where's Ron conspiracy theory. Well, it turned out, in case you missed it, that Ron was working at the Capitol every day. He was not doing public events. And he was also accompanying his wife to her cancer treatments. So that one kind of blew up in their faces, as is so often the case with the way they choose to go after Ron DeSantis. They are so fixated on him that they pursue self-destructive lines of attack. And that one did not end well for them. So she played some, uh, she played some games on the Where is Ron front, and then responding to some of the critiques, and she was like cherry-picking ones that she thought could garner some degree of sympathy, she ended up tweeting this on New Year's Eve. And it's also like, maybe do something else on New Year's Eve. If you're in Florida, you might as well just enjoy it. But she writes, because someone was pointing out that the boyfriend was wearing these like Birkenstock-type sandals or whatever, and was commenting on that. So she responds to her huge flock, if Republicans are mad that they can't date me, they can just say that instead of projecting their sexual frustrations onto my boyfriend's feet, you creepy weirdos. She went on. She felt like, you know what? That tweet isn't quite enough. It's starting to get old, ignoring the very obvious, strange, and deranged sexual frustrations that underpin the Republican fixation on me women, and LGBT plus people in general. These people clearly need therapy, won't do it, and use politics as their outlet instead. It's really weird. Okay, let's unpack this. There are some weird things that are directed, I'm sure, at AOC and basically everyone in the public eye. If you have any degree of prominence or fame, you get some weird stuff. You get some worse than weird stuff. That is unfortunate That is true. I think the weirdest thing about any of this is her reaction to it. People are criticizing her for being on vacation in what her side said is the worst state in the country, most dangerous, horrible state in the country, in the middle of a huge 
COVID spike in her district. Right? That's basically the crux of the critique. I saw Ali Stuckey had a good response to this on Twitter. She said, people say, hey, it's kind of weird that while New York kids are being forced to eat their lunches in 30-degree weather because of COVID, AOC is vacationing in free Florida. The state Dems have criticized the most. And then AOC responds by saying, what I'm hearing you say is that you're upset you can't have sex with me. (laughs) She turns this into like, these Republicans and these conservatives are channeling their sexual frustrations into political attacks against me. Which is like an extremely self-absorbed myopic thing. It's like, oh... Well, any critique must be born latent sexual desire. AOC, in case you're listening, I know you're a big fan of the pod. I can assure you with confidence, my criticisms of you have nothing to do with any hope to date you, right? Or anger that I can't. Let's just put that out there. Then she also drags in all the other women in the world and the LGBT community, like, all of a sudden she's linking arms and trying to build this solidarity out of nowhere in the tweet has nothing to do with us has nothing to do with the rest of women it's just a clumsy attempt by her to be like we're in solidarity together I just don't even quite understand what that point was but my favorite response to this super weird self-obsessed response from AOC the best reaction to it came from my dear friend Mary Catherine Hamm She had some very funny tweets about it, and then she went on CNN this morning, and this was her topic. She was ready, and she absolutely savagely mocked the whole situation. You have to hear it. We will tell you what she said. We will play you the audio as soon as we come back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Back is the Guy Benson Show. So we talked about this AOC thing in Florida and her very bizarre response to it saying, well, it's really just all about Republicans who are sexually frustrated that they can't date her. It's like, wow, okay, you really took it to 11. I don't know where that came from, but okay. You do you. Mary Catherine Hamm, my co-author of End of Discussion, also one of my best friends, she tweeted this on New Year's Day, which made me laugh out loud. I relate to AOC. Literally every criticism of me boils down to people being disappointed they can't have sex with me. It is indeed a burden, but one we must bear. So, just terrific. This morning on CNN, New Day, MKH was invited on to discuss this, and all the chirons and the graphics on CNN was about AOC accuses Republicans of uh, sexually frustrated attacks, blah, blah, blah. So Mary Catherine decided to show up and kind of make this point and commit to the bit. And she did it. And it was hilarious. Cut 23. I'm glad to be able to discuss this important issue with you. The plight of the super hot in America has long been ignored. uh, And AOC has started a national conversation about this. uh, And, you know, I know we've all dealt with it. uh, And by that, I mean AOC and you, Brianna, and myself and John. Well, the point is, um, 
you know, we can start an organization or something. And just the other day, uh, I noticed the IRS keeps sending me notices, even though I've never expressed any interest in them. And it's like, why are you so obsessed with me? Uh, but one day you wake up and you think to yourself, is there more to life than being really, really ridiculously good looking? Uh, you know, I did it and now I'm here. Uh, AOC did it and now she's a congresswoman. And in that capacity, you have to answer questions. And like, I'm goofing on this because it's goofy, but to question the motives of every questioner you come across, uh, I don't think behooves you. Um, and she can answer the questions about being in Florida without going here. I mean, that's just perfect. What did he have in that answer? You had MKH identifying as a super hot person and talking about the plight of the super hot in America. She had the national conversation reference, like crediting AOC for starting an important national conversation about it. She started to mention the male anchor as part of the good-looking club and then stopped, which was definitely a choice. That cracked up the CNN crew. You could hear them. They couldn't help but laugh because it was funny. There was a Zoolander reference in there. There's a Mean Girls reference in there, which I think hits home with a certain age range as well. Certainly AOC's demo. This, I think, is how it is best to deal with the nonsense that AOC often puts out. Not indignant anger, not nastiness and getting personal, but with well-placed, playful ridicule. Because the last thing that progressives ever want is to be laughed at. And they were being laughed at on CNN this morning. A-plus work there. Trolling, but making a good point. Mary Catherine Hamm. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show is coming up. Dr. Nicole Sapphire on all the COVID craziness. She's straight ahead. Stay with us. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Time now for the Happy Hour on the Guy Benson Show. Happy New Year. Thanks for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com, our website, as always. Podcast, as always, free and on demand. Round the clock, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And this hour is sponsored by The Finnish Long Drink. Our sponsors, a great product, really delicious beverage. It's adults only, 21 plus, please. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can find out where they're sold near you. You can also order online, thelongdrink.com, and always drink responsibly. With that, we are very pleased to welcome in our friend and our colleague, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified MD. She's senior Fox News medical contributor, best-selling author of the book, Panic Attack. And, Doctor, it's great to have you back. Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year, and I'm so glad it is happy hour time on this blustery Monday. <laughs> yes, I mean, me too. It's already <laughs> been a long week, and it's only Monday for reasons that I will get into in the home stretch coming up in a few segments from right now. It's been a doozy already, and part of it, and I've tipped this hand already a couple times, my house has just been like COVID central for basically the entire holiday season. My family was here. We got our first positive test on Christmas Day. We are still getting a positive COVID test. Adam tested still positive uh, earlier today. And it's been not terrible. It has been, I would say, mild to moderate cases. But this is just all over the place. Doctor, you know this, an absolute explosion of cases. That's the bad news. The good news is it's night and day. When you look at hospitalizations and deaths, it is night and day now compared to what it was a year ago due to immunity, due to vaccines, due to therapeutics, due to Omicron apparently being more mild. There's just lots of data at this point. All the data seems to support that Omicron is uh, less severe than Delta, for example. But what's your overall read? Let, let, let's just clear away the brush. We are starting a new year. It is 2022. This is the third calendar year where COVID has been a part of our lives, in some ways dominant. What is the state, the public health state of the United States right now, in your estimation? Well, it's in complete chaos, but that's not really the virus. That's because of the politicization of the virus. Um, and, you know, what happened with your household is I mean, just what, ha- what happened all across the country over the holiday season. And it's something we've known throughout the entire pandemic. You, yet we have people, you know, masking and testing and doing all these things uh, to go to shows, to go to restaurants, to go to schools. But really, the majority of the transmission occurs um, in in at-home gatherings. And so that's what happens because you let down your guard and you're going to see the transmission. But there has been a severe uncoupling of case counts with hospitalization and deaths. And actually just this in the last few days, South Africa data even updated it even further. One, Omicron was causing about an 80% decrease in hospitalization amongst those who got infected. But then they also reported that about two-thirds of the papers people who were reported as COVID hospitalized, it was actually an incidental positive test on hospitalized patients. Um, and so, you know, even who were there now, for something we're else, right? So they showed up to the hospital for some yeah. other malady and then they tested them automatically. They tested positive. They weren't there for that. They were there with that. Meaning they were hosp- not hospitalized for COVID. Right. They were, they were hospitalized for some other reason, but because hospitals everywhere, including everywhere in the United States, anyone who's being admitted to the hospital right now gets a COVID test. So we, that's one thing that we've been really bad at, as being able to determine who's being hospitalized with or because of COVID, as opposed to it just being an incidental diagnosis. Interestingly, the CDC updated their data on adolescent hospitalizations during the summer Delta wave. This just came out. And the one thing, well, there are several things I found interesting, but a huge thing I found interesting, they said about 77 Only about 77% of the kids who were reported hospitalized from COVID actually were hospitalized with COVID. So we're overestimating the amount of even kids being hospitalized, which as a parent myself, I can tell you, when you see these anxiety-provoking headlines like pediatric hospitalizations are rising, it's like, well, yes, but a lot of people are infected, but we need to be much better at determining are they being hospitalized because of COVID or is it an incidental finding? 
So one thing that I have found rather interesting in the last few days, it seems, Doctor, is seemingly a bit of a shift from Dr. Anthony Fauci on a few different fronts. One of them is he is doing something that I know others have been talking about now for many months, which is saying maybe we should not obsess on cases and instead look at these other metrics like hospitalizations, like deaths. And he said, to your point, there's been this huge dramatic decoupling, which is very good news. You were making this exact same point, I mean, my goodness, months and months ago about breakthrough cases, about how there was way too much attention, like breathless media coverage. Oh, so-and-so has a breakthrough case, and it didn't matter that it was mild or almost asymptomatic. The existence of that case was making headlines. The newer version of that is just focusing on all these Omicron cases, including a lot of people who've been vaccinated, even people who've had COVID before. I know multiple people who are now going through their second round of COVID. Fauci seems to finally be saying, hey, let's tap the brakes here on looking so closely and being so concerned and worried about cases versus, you know, severe cases that are actually causing real harm to people. It might be a better late than never thing, but at least he's doing it, right? I think that's an important point, number one. Number two, quickly, he's also making the point that you just made on children and hospitalizations, saying actually a lot of those so-called COVID hospitalizations for kids, many of them aren't actually caused by COVID. They just happen to have COVID when they're tested. He just said that the other day on TV, and I was like, wow, I'm glad he said it. That's a really important point, the with versus of distinction that was sort of you weren't allowed to talk about that sort of persona non grata if you made that point publicly for a long time. Now even Fauci is making that. I wonder if that is an important step in the progression of our society towards recognizing and treating the COVID scenario as endemic. Well, you know, Guy, I, you know, I'm glad to hear Dr. Fauci saying all of these things, all of these things that a lot of people have been saying for a while. Um, what is curious to me is, though, nothing major has changed, especially um, in talk, terms of reporting cases versus hospitalizations. There had been a severe uncoupling since the spring after vaccines. So that is the time that we should have been focusing more on hospitalizations and death. But he didn't do it then. And when we're talking about the overestimation of pediatric hospitalizations. Last spring, you had two hospitals in California put yep. forth data showing that only about 50% of the hospitalizations in kids were actually from COVID. You had the UK putting out the same data showing how it was grossly inflated. And I even wrote about it on foxnews.com, but not one peep came from Fauci. And that's very frustrating. And so, it, again, it's not like something tra- changed overnight. This has all been there. But clearly you can see messaging is changing. Maybe that's because we're in a dire worker shortage. Maybe it's because midterms are coming up. I don't know. I, I once was so uh, optimistic that Dr. Fauci and the others had no external influence and would only be speaking on science. But I can tell you at this point, uh, my faith in that is obliterated. And um, I don't know what the impetus is behind his change in messaging, but I'm very happy to hear it because we are finally following the science. Two more questions briefly here, doctor, in the time that we have left. Number one, the CDC put out new guidance after Christmas, sort of shocking a lot of people, saying that the isolation time period would go from 10 days to five days, and then you didn't even have to get a negative test after five days. There were some 
more progressive people who were very angry about that. There were others pointing out, well, why aren't you changing it for kids? Kids are still at 10 days for some reason. And now it looks like the CDC is going to backtrack a little bit on the new guidance. It just feels kind of incoherent and not terribly sciencey. <laughs> it is not sciencey at all. Um, and the back and forth is one of the biggest frustrations, especially when the CDC finally comes up with their updated recommendations. And then because they get a lot of pushback, they're like, okay, never mind, we're going to change it. Like, no, 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 you stand your ground. If you made a decision, you made recommendations, you stay firm with that because the immediate time you backtrack, that's when you start having even more criticism and even more people who aren't going to follow it at all. And the, up, the, why we updated those, why we, why they updated these recommendations, it's because we are finally, finally moving away from the mindset of zero COVID. It is not about risk elimination. It is about risk reduction. And so by shortening that isolation period, yes, they're not going, there's not a 0% chance that they are not contagious anymore. But they, they are highly unlikely to have any significant transmission after that time. Now, it's not black and white. For those in healthcare settings or those who are around immunocompromised individuals, yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go five days. You're probably gonna go longer. And you're gonna make sure that those high risk individuals have high quality masks to protect them, just like you would any other time, um, they're, you're around an immunocompromised individual. And that whether or not we should be testing at the end of the five days, well, how could they actually say, no, 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 you have to have serial rapid tests at the end of the five days when you can't actually go out and get rapid tests right now because there's a testing shortage and yeah, that in a lot of even more. parts of the country which we, of course we've you've been also talking about that you and the other doctors we've had on the show they've been talking about testing shortages for like a year and yet here we are very quickly 20 seconds hundreds of schools maybe more across the country closed today this week perhaps for weeks or even a month because of omicron that's the excuse in your medical opinion, is there any justification for schools being closed in 2022? We have closed schools historically from the flu when you have about 20% of the population out because of a contagion. Uh, at this point, moving forward with COVID, if you have the majority of children who are able to attend school because of the detriment they've already faced the last two years, you need to do everything possible to keep them in school. And if you're teachers are the ones who are there are infected with covid then people need to remote into the children but the children need to be there and by the way time to take off those single layer cloth masks because they're doing nothing they're just for optics just to make people quote-unquote feel good but all it is is a detriment at this point to those children dr nicole sapphire on the guy benson show doctor we appreciate it thank you we'll talk again i'm sure many times happy new year happy new year it's the guy benson show we'll be right back the guy benson show more next jason in the house the jason chaffetz podcast dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as i take on american life politics and entertainment subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts it's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show, and if you're listening on the broadcast live, you definitely know that song. Well, you probably do, if you're familiar at all with American pop culture. The theme song from the Golden Girls, with perhaps the most golden member of that cast passing away on New Year's Eve, Betty White, a true trailblazer. A national treasure. 
dead at the age of 99, just about two weeks short of turning 100. She was on the cover of People magazine. They had all sorts of plans for a 100th birthday party. And very, very sadly, she died on New Year's Eve. I think it's pretty incredible that so many people aren't just devastated and upset because, of course, she had so many fans. And she seemed to be one of those cultural figures who cut across multiple demographics. People just loved Betty White. But for people to be so upset, like, oh, she's gone too soon. She was 99. I think part of that is she looked awesome for 99. And she was quick. She was funny. What? a wonderful person, and a great entertainer. Like, at least over these last few decades, America's clever, sarcastic, occasionally savage grandmother that we all loved. Her death came on the heels of another legend just a few days prior. Former NFL Super Bowl winning coach, longtime epic analyst on TV, and of course the face and voice of a video game franchise that has been one of the most successful in the history of video games, John Madden. I mean, there are so many ways, even if you're not a football fan, that you would be familiar with John Madden. And he was culturally relevant beyond his corner of the NFL world, where he was a giant, through TV ads, through the video games, he was an institution. When you think NFL football for decades, you associate that voice with football in America. I heard this point made a couple different times. If there were a Mount Rushmore of NFL football in America, there's a very strong case John Madden would have to be one of those four faces chiseled into the stone. And so I grew up in the early days of watching football with him and Pat Summerall on Fox, although he worked for all four broadcast networks as a broadcaster in his TV analysis. He was at Fox, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And it was never really even a conversation that he had left anywhere on bad terms or burned bridges, just the outpouring of love and respect in the sports world when he died kind of reminded me of what happened a few days later with Betty White. These are just beloved people and figures in this country. He was 85. She was 99. I saw someone joking, get Dolly Parton to the bunker. I think Dolly's going to be all right. We love Dolly. But I confessed recently that despite really enjoying Betty White, knowing the song reference, I've seen clips a few times and GIFs here or there, I've actually never watched a full episode of Golden Girls. Maybe I ought to rectify that in the coming days in her honor. I could raise a glass, but it's dry January. I'm not doing the full dry January, but I'm going to probably do like a maybe two weeks, just to decompress a little bit and sweat it all out, detox, if you will. But when the time comes, maybe I'll put on a little marathon of Golden Girls and have a drink. I think that's what Betty would have wanted. 
rest in peace, Betty White, John Madden, titans of American culture that we lost over the holidays. Not the happiest topic on the happy hour, but think about all the happiness that both of those people brought to so many lives. We wanted to honor them here. Now, when we come back, we're going to do something a little bit unusual, a little bit special, an extended home stretch. Two full segments ahead, because we can't just squeeze it into one. There's a snowstorm in D.C., or there was. There's been a minor disaster at the house, which happened just hours before we went on the air. And then, of course, there was also what we talked about earlier, COVID swimming all over this household over the course of the holidays. Three people in my family were here with COVID, so that was fun. And producer Christine has a mini outbreak at her house. Oh, we'll talk about it. We'll get you caught up to speed. The long extended special director's cut New Year's edition. The first one of 2022 of the home stretch is coming up next. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It is an extended home stretch here on the Guy Benson Show on this Monday, our first home stretch of 2022. And we had so much to catch up on because I was gone for the last week. And who boy has a lot gone down. We will get to the uh, COVID travails coming up here in a bit. But first, producer Christine, have you guys had snow up in Jersey? Because we got pretty walloped here in D.C. We have not had snow the entire season so far. Actually, up until this morning, it was uh, pretty mild. It was about 55 yesterday in the uh, great state of New Jersey. So, no, we have not seen, I don't even think, a snowflake yet. Yeah, it has been pretty warm and mild around here for the last month. But the temperature dropped last night. There was snow in the forecast. And I'm one of these people in D.C. who gets pretty jaded. Because usually once or twice a year, they say, oh, there's a snowstorm coming to Washington. And almost inevitably, there are exceptions. But it feels like more often than not, it's a bust. Everyone's ready for snow and a huge deluge. And then it's like a dusting, if that. So I was skeptical. And I'm someone who likes snow, especially in the winter. I'm a four seasons guy. So if it's going to be winter time, a little A little snowfall is nice. I like the look. I like the aesthetic. I find it peaceful. Well, I got my wish, I guess, and it snowed overnight into the morning, into the afternoon. And when I woke up, I was delighted. I tried to let Roy out. Roy did not want to step foot outside. Like, I think Roy made the calculation, do I have to go to the bathroom? Yes. Is it worth going out into whatever this is? No. He hasn't seen heavy snow in a while, and he's never a big snow dog. So he went straight to the couch and looked at me like, you're not making me go out. Also, he's so powdery white, he could get lost. He could easily get lost in the snow. In any case, it was, I don't know, it looked like maybe six or seven inches is what fell. Which is fine. No problem. I like it. In fact, I was going to keep the Christmas lights on outdoors 
on the house for one more night just to see everything all lit up with the snow. I thought that would be pretty. And then the Christmas lights turn off because we are, of course, past Christmas. But here's the problem. The snow that fell is very heavy, wet snow. And so I was on the couch doing some work. I was not looking at the backyard. I got a call from Adam, who is upstairs. And that's coming up in the next segment, why he is on the third floor and not on my floor. You can probably guess. And he says, a tree fell in our backyard. And I turned, and one of our huge evergreen trees, which I guess was really laboring under the weight of so much heavy snow, especially near the top, it just came down. And it didn't make a giant crash because it fell into a pillow of snow. And the roots are sort of up, and there's an electrical wire out there, and it was a distressing scene. So needless to say, my morning, nothing has really gone to plan in a lot of ways over the last two weeks. <laughs> like, all right, here we go, back to work, back to the show. Uh, we're just going to hit the reset button, and now there's a tree that we have to somehow get removed from the backyard at some point here and then replaced. The more immediate concern was could this happen to another tree or a bigger tree? This one luckily fell into just empty yard. It could have been worse. The other trees, if they were to topple, it would it would probably be worse. So I immediately put on snow boots. I was wearing shorts. It was maybe not my finest decision, but it was fine. But snow boots, a winter hat, some gloves, my North Face, and I got a broom, like a wicker broom from the garage, and just went around knocking snow off of our trees and bushes, because a lot of the bushes and trees were just sagging, really struggling under the weight of this snow. So I was trying to save some of those pieces of vegetation. What I'm most concerned about is we have some big, tall holly trees on one side of our backyard, and then a whole line of evergreen trees between our house and the back brick wall. And one is gone, so there's like a big missing tooth there already, and there were a few others just clearly leaning. And this was highly concerning. And some of them are relatively new because we had to replace them for another reason. Don't want to get into all the details. But are maybe 12 feet tall. So between my height I'm six feet tall in the broom. I was able to mostly get those trees clear. Those are three. But the old mature trees, there are also three of them. Well, now I guess we're down to three from four. It's got to be, what, 40 feet high, 50? They're really tall. So I could get some of the snow off some of the limbs and branches. But near the top, I mean, I'm almost worried... Are they so top-heavy that they could start to sag and the problem could get worse? The temperature is supposed to climb. It looks like the snow has stopped. So I'm hoping, after the show, I'm going to go out and like do one more round of 
not even shoveling, but broom hitting. I also grabbed the, the tree trunks with Adam's help. He came down and was sort of supervising as I was just shaking the tree trunks as hard as I could. And it worked to the extent that a lot of the snow fell off. Some of it is stubbornly sticking. You should have seen me. I was a mess because the snow was falling, of course, directly onto me. Producer Christine, when I told you this, you seemed less concerned about our plight and about the tree falling in the yard and the concern about more trees falling in the yard. You seemed very concerned with repeated inquiries as to whether or not Adam had videotaped me engaged in this, I would say, responsible homeownership. It's almost as if you thought this would be amusing. Does this entertain you, Christine? It, it definitely would have, and I'm a little disappointed in Adam right now. Um, obviously, we're going to be talking about this next segment, but I've been cooped up for a very long time, and this entertainment would have been <laughs> quite funny for me as well as the rest of the show. So I am a little disappointed. I, I'm, I'm confused as to you going outside in shorts. I, I definitely don't think your mother would approve during a I snowstorm. I mean, it's fine. It's fine, and mm. to me, it was the boots... The hat and the gloves, those were the most important <laughs> weapons to have. But then the shorts. I mean, I need at least a picture, Adam. Come on. No, nope, nope, nope. And so uh, we will report back. We might have Mary Catherine's husband, who's very good. He might, he's got a chainsaw, and he loves excuses to use the chainsaw, so maybe we'll have him help <laughs> us with the tree removal. I just hope it's only one tree. That's the key here. And uh, we'll bring you an update on the situation as it unfolds. In the meantime, we will break. We'll come back. And then it's time for Christmas and cookie and COVID. It's been a bumpy ride in the Benson household and the cookie household. We will recap as soon as we come back on the home stretch. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Home, home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. Well, we alluded to it a lot in the last segment. You might have heard it in Christine's voice. I also made mention of it earlier in the program as well. COVID struck again in my household and has struck for the first time in Christine's household over the last few weeks. And it has been a bumpy, turbulent experience. I think it's safe to say there's been a COVID imprint on the holiday season of 2021. So starting with my family, they all came down. We hosted at the house. They came down just before Christmas Eve. I was actually up in New York where everyone had it. I mean, <laughs> there were rumors in the building at Fox. That, like Everyone was testing positive. They were sending people home left and right. A lot of it was Omicron, so not terribly severe, but still, you know, it's, it's significant. I got out of New York actually early. I took a train home the night before I was supposed to leave, I was like, I need to get home for Christmas. I need to get out of New York City. So my family was here. Christmas Eve, my dad had a cold. And it wasn't a horrible cold, but it was a cold. But before my siblings were all slated to arrive, so I guess this was the 23rd, I said, let's do a rapid test just to be safe. We had one or two left in the house. And these things in certain places, these rapid tests are like gold. They're very hard to find. People are snapping them up. Other parts of the country, it's just not an issue at all. So I go, yeah, you can go into CVS. There's plenty 
available. In blue areas, blue cities, sort of urban areas in particular, it's like you know people get a tip that the Walgreens, two towns away, got a new shipment, and there's just a race. It's like a run on the bank to go buy your maximum, what, like four packets of these, of these tests. But we had a few at the house, so tested dad, negative. Tested myself, negative. Everyone arrives. Christmas Eve, dad's still not feeling great. Christmas morning, he gets up, we test him again, and he's positive. So now we have dad in the house with COVID. So we put him up on the third floor to sort of isolate him. Then we realized on Christmas Day, at least in the D.C. area, it was really nice. It was 63, something like that. So we took all of our gifts and everything, brought them outside on the back patio. He sat over on the other end of the patio, and that's how we did our presents. I actually posted on my Instagram, at Guy P. Benson, a photo from our security camera in the back of the house of all of us doing the gifts with dad in the sort of in the foreground off by himself, everyone else seated across the way. But we at least were able to interact. Outside is safe. We had some of his meals out there, like he had breakfast out there. And then for dinner and stuff, he would be up on the third floor. And we took my mom, who never got it, by the way. Neither of them were boosted. They finally got scheduled for their booster shots. And my mom got hers, finally. But my dad, literally days before he finally could get his booster shot, got COVID. So we had to take her out of the sleeping arrangement and put her down with my sister. It was a whole thing. So dad finally started to improve. He referred to himself as the patient. And he would occasionally text us requests. This is how we knew it wasn't really that bad. It's like the, the patient requires some more appetizers. <laughs> or like The patient requires some wine. So he was fine. It just was kind of an unpleasant flu-ish cold with some fever for a little while, but it wasn't bad. He's now recovered. Thank God. My brother started to feel not great. He tested negative, tested again, tested positive. His girlfriend never got it until just recently. So she finally ended up getting it, but it was, she was out of our house by that point. So we had to find another room for my brother to be in. My dad was up on the third floor. And then after Adam and I, we had gone to Colorado, tested negative. Neither of us had it, but we got back in plenty of time for New Year's Eve. Adam started to feel a little bit weird. And he was talking about sort of like a burning, tingly sensation in his nose. I'm like, that sounds familiar because, of course, I had a breakthrough case back in August. We tested him on the 30th, and it was positive. So New Year's plans went away, dinner reservation canceled, and he's been on the third floor. So it's been a time. He tested positive again this afternoon. So he, it's mild. These are not bad symptoms. They're not pleasant. It's not like you want this. It's like a cold. It's a cold. Now, whether it's Omicron or Delta, unclear. I have relatives out in California right now who are quite ill with COVID, and we're praying for them. It's not like hospital ill, but it's been really bad. And that could very well be Delta, because there's still a lot of both going around right now in different parts of the country, even in the same parts of the country. So I will just say, knock on wood, that I did not get Omicron, or maybe I did, but it was so fleeting and so mild that it never really affected me. I had a few little 
feelings of the tingly nose and that sort of thing. But my tests, I didn't take many. I had a little tiny bit of symptoms, took a test, negative. If I had it, it was super mild, or I didn't have it because I think my combination of two shots of the vaccine plus my natural immunity, I think, did the trick. Now, there are other people that I know who have now gotten COVID for a second time. Some very close friends had COVID in the early days. One friend had COVID back-to-back Christmases. He had it for the first time last Christmas and then got it again this Christmas. And it was likely Omicron this time and a different variant last time. So it is kind of complex. But in my experience, I think that my hybrid immunity probably got the job done. Now I say that, (laughs) maybe I'll get it. It's been a very frustrating beast, but we're just working through it. And everyone that I know in my neck of the woods, sort of in my circle, who got it. And there's been a ton of people who got it. We had that caller topic on the show before the holidays. Are you changing your holidays at all? And my plan was, nope, we're not changing anything. Well, (laughs) that didn't really work out. We had to roll with the punches. We didn't blow up the whole thing. We didn't panic. But things changed with positive tests. Which brings us now to producer Christine, who is for now testing negative, but I don't know, Christine, it seems that there are clues. There are clues that Cookie may have finally gotten the Rona. How are you feeling? What's happening at your house? So we went to Massachusetts to visit my husband's family over uh, Christmas, you know, weekend. And then uh, I've been sick now over a week started with some sort of stomach flu and I don't know what I have now, but my daughter tested positive on Thursday and my husband tested positive today. And my daughter was a little sick, not too bad. My husband's not feeling his best. We both feel it in our chest. I've tested negative, I think four times now. Wow. So I don't know what is going on. I would guess because you just sort of, you test negative until you don't, right? That's what happened with my dad. That's what happened with Adam. So I think you probably have it, not that I'm a doctor or anything, but given the fact that both other people in your house have it, that would make sense. And hopefully it clears up soon. Hopefully it remains moderate and mild. I'm glad that Megan is, is doing fine. And yeah, I mean, this was a holiday season that was not ideal for a lot of people because we're still going through all of this stuff. And I hope that you guys feel okay. You're a trooper for working, even though you're working from home. We're glad to have you here. Feel better, and hopefully you'll give us some updates as the week progresses. Yes, and I mean, Guy, as you and I both know, this is two years of me worrying. It finally happened. (laughs) Although it's not confirmed yet. (laughs) Meanwhile, Dan is fine, our engineer. He has kept himself isolated. He didn't get it. Wyatt and his whole family went to Florida. They're fine. So there you go. It is an unpredictable thing. It's no one's fault. That's the other thing. I think more people are realizing it's no one's fault. All right, we're out of time. I'm on special report tonight on the panel with Brett and company. Back here tomorrow, same time, same place on the radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.